Hello, today is Friday, June 4th, 2021, and welcome to the 35th episode of Of Interest. My name is Al Deschino, also known on Twitch as Christian Ninja, where every week from Sunday to Thursday at noon Eastern Standard Time, we're working together to build an open, encouraging, and meaningful online family through gaming, real talk, and God's truth. You can find the link to my streams, videos, books, and podcasts at www.artofthechristianninja.com. In this week's episode, I'm going to share an interesting idea about how we all stand on the shoulders of giants, an interesting article about how Christians can deal with anxiety, and continue our interesting study of Pilgrim's Progress by exploring more of the sixth chapter where Christian meets the lions. Hey everyone, how are you doing today? Thank you for taking the time to give this podcast a listen. I think it's going to be an interesting episode, but let me just do a quick couple announcements before we get started. First thing is that, believe it or not, I've actually got Christian Ninja merch where I've actually put my little logo and my little emote characters on coffee mugs and shirts and mouse pads and all that kind of stuff. I had a professional artist do them up and they are insanely cute. It's a fun way to support the podcast and let folks know you're a listener. I'll put the link in the description. And second, I just want you to know how amazing this Thursday was for me. When God called me to start this ministry, I did not know what to expect. All all I knew was that I was going to give it my all and trust that God would grow whatever he asked me to plant. And he really has. I've only been streaming since March. And on this past Thursday, I had the biggest stream I've ever had. I had more viewers, more visits, more chatting, more followers, and more subs than I've ever seen. I set a goal to have 150 followers and 15 subscribers by the end of May, and even though we're a little bit into June, I'm so close. I've gotten 125 followers and 14 subscribers. I know that doesn't sound like much, but to me, that's huge. Plus, during that stream, I was able to record a devotional message that'll be played at a church that's asked me to speak virtually, and I recorded a segment that's going to be turned into a YouTube video. It's It was a big day. Plus, The Discord chat server, which is the heart of the online community because that's where we really connect with each other anytime, it's grown to 34 members who are sharing everything from vacation pictures to hobbies to Bible study notes to prayer requests, and many of the members have no affiliation to any kind of church at all. Chatting on that server really does feel like being part of a loving community, and that's the whole goal. It has been amazing to witness what God has been doing in such a short period of time, and a big part of that has been Him working through you as you lend me support in so many ways. So thank you and praise God. Okay, let's get on with the show. It occurred to me this week especially after the Thursday devotional that I wrote about how all our lives make ripples that affect everyone around us, that no matter what we've done, we're all standing on the shoulders of giants. Now that phrase, standing on the shoulders of giants, has been traced all the way back to the 12th century French philosopher Bernard of Chartres. It seems that the story goes that this philosopher was wandering around the fairly new-built Chartres Cathedral and saw on the south wall some large stained-glass windows of the images of the prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, depicted as these large men with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, made a little bit smaller and sitting on their shoulders. It is a very Google-worthy picture. You should definitely check it out. 
But for him, this thought obviously had more than a theological concept. He brought this into his own area of expertise, philosophy. And he considered how his own understanding of the world was so dependent on all the philosophers that came before, like how Plato had such an influence on St. Augustine and so on up through the ages. He used to compare himself and his contemporaries to dwarfs perched on the shoulders of giants. And he noted that they might see more and farther than those who came before, but it's not because they had better vision or stood taller. It was because these giants had used their strength to lift these little ones up to such a great height. Isaac Newton, 500 years later, brought this expression into English when he said, If I have seen further, it is by standing on the shoulders of giants. And that's what I've been thinking about lately. And really, that's what I've been telling my kids and everyone else for a long time. Whenever we think ourselves so great or smart or successful or powerful or whatever, we really need to take a minute to start thinking about all the giants we've needed to get us where we are. For example, say you're really good at computers. People compliment you on how you can fix them and manipulate them and program them or whatever. And it's tempting to think that you're you know, like better than others because you have this knowledge or skill set. But ask yourself, whose shoulders are you standing on? Do you know how to build an operating system from scratch? Do you know how to solder components to a motherboard? Do you know how to design the circuits? Could you build a monitor so you could see what you're doing? The mouse that you're holding in your hand, someone had to design that. And go even further, who figured out silicone microprocessors? It was some engineers in the 1970s. And who discovered silicone? That was some Swedish dude from 1824. And who taught the Swedish dude science? And who encouraged him to go to the science in the first place? And who raised him to be a studious person? Who fed him so he stayed alive? All these people were necessary so you could learn computers. Or if you play guitar, you might be the next Jimi Hendrix or Stevie Ray Vaughan, better than everyone else around you by far, but whose shoulders are you standing on? Who taught you? Who inspired you? Who invented the humbucker, the amplification, the speakers, the distortion pedal? Who invented nylon strings in the pickup? Or for that matter, who invented how to write music onto a sheet of paper so others could play the song too? Incidentally, that was a guy named Guido, and he did it a thousand years ago. I don't think it matters what we do. Whether we're an artist, a farmer, a mechanic, a businessman, or an engineer, there isn't a single one of us that does anything on our own. And 99.999% of us wouldn't be able to figure out almost anything that we take for granted in our lives. That's the thought that I keep in my mind whenever I start thinking a little too highly of myself that I wouldn't be anywhere if it wasn't for the thousands and thousands of people, the thousands of giants that have taught me what I know, built what I use, created what I could have never even imagined in the first place. And all that thanksgiving for all those giants must find its completion, not in the works of man, but in the person of God, the ultimate creator, the perfect inventor, the greatest of all giants, who, in his grace and mercy, has chosen to make us in his image, allowing us to have just the tiniest taste of his beauty, glory, and power. This week's interesting article is entitled Living Faithfully with Anxiety, and it's by Aaron Garriott on tabletalkmagazine.com. Now, ironically, the moment you heard that I was going to talk about a Christian perspective on anxiety, you immediately got anxious. 
Because in your experience, every time a Christian leader talks about mental health issues, it's always the same thing. Anxiety or worry is a sin. You don't have enough faith. If you just tried harder, got some exercise, changed your diet, blah, 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 you'd get better. I promise I won't say any of that. People who say worry is a sin, they're wrong anyway. These people are the same ones who refuse to say the word worry, but are always concerned for people, or burdened about situations, or feel uneasy about something that might happen. I have news for them. Those are literally just other words for worry. So they're not only biblically wrong, they're hypocrites. People who say you can get over anxiety by having enough faith, they're also wrong. If your anxiety is a medical condition, then unless a miracle happens, it's not going away if you pray, serve, and read your Bible more. And if your anxiety is about something that you should actually be anxious about, like if you're not sure whether or not you put the campfire out all the way, or if someone you love is serving in the military or on a dangerous mission, or your wayward teen or alcoholic parent is getting in trouble, or, hey, look, there's a giant snarling dog running and barking at me with foam all around its mouth and someone yelling, oh, no, he's loose. Watch out. He'll kill you. Well, then it would be wrong not to be anxious. That fight or flight response is a good thing. Yes, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Do not worry about your life, your food, your clothes, your future, or persecutions. But those are all about whether or not you personally trust God with the most fundamental parts of your life. Or does Satan have a foothold there because you're afraid God might not provide for you when you need it? But knowing what you know about the life of Christ... Would you ever say Jesus was never concerned for people, burdened by situations, overwhelmed by difficult circumstance? Of course he was, and that wasn't a sin. Consider Paul. He always felt anxious about the churches he planted, and Timothy is commended for having genuine concern for the Philippians. Those are all the Greek word for worry, and it's the same one Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount. In 1 Corinthians 7, 32-34, Paul talks about how good it is that single people are anxious about the things of the Lord. That's the same word that Jesus used. Some anxiety is good and healthy. Some is bad and unhealthy. That's what the Bible says. So you're not going to hear any of that try harder, have more faith, get some fresh air nonsense from me or from this article. Now it begins by talking about how ubiquitous anxiety is, how everyone has it. Sometimes they have an incredible amount of it that just lands them in the hospital, or a mental illness that makes their brain chemistry so wonky they always feel it. Others, they only get it once in a blue moon, but everyone gets it. The question is, what are Christians supposed to do about it? The article has a few helpful points. First, it's important to acknowledge that we are all fallen physical creatures and that part of our problem is that the world is full of sin and our bodies are subject to corruption. As he says in the article, when it comes to conditions such as anxiety and melancholy, research clearly suggests that some people have a greater tendency toward cognitive disruptions and misfiring brain circuits. Unquote. It's acknowledging that is an important step. It releases us from the guilt of feeling like we're faithless creatures because we have feelings we can't control. Feeling guilty about that would be the same as a person who was born deaf feeling guilty they couldn't hear things. It's not a sin. It's not because you sinned. It's just something that happens in the world because the world is still feeling the effects of the curse of sin. Second, he points out that when a Christian is battling anxiety, they need to realize that sometimes it's because they're their own worst enemy. 
Sometimes it's not a mental illness or some demonic oppression or anything external. Sometimes the bad feelings come because of our own choices. Not sleeping, eating garbage, letting your environment fall apart, drinking too much, or even being in the habit of just letting unhealthy thinking and emotions take over instead of trying to use a little brain power to see if those thoughts and feelings are valid. To this, the author reminds us that the Bible is pretty clear that every individual Christian has a responsibility to use some discipline, some clear thinking, to give our bodies and our brains a fighting chance. Third, he reminds us that our feelings in and of themselves aren't bad. And the goal isn't necessarily to try to get rid of our feelings or change our feelings. After all, you don't want to never feel anxious ever again. That's going to cause problems too. Anyone who has ever had experience with anti-anxiety medication will tell you that it's a double-edged sword. Sure, you don't have as many symptoms, you're not always on the edge of panic, but as the anxiety goes away, other things start to happen, like you spend way more money than you have on dumb stuff because you're not really worried about the budget, or you drink more alcohol because you're not really worried about that, or you eat more calories, or you start missing deadlines at work because the stress is not there. So, you see, the goal isn't to get rid of the emotions. The goal is to let that feeling draw you closer to God and then honor him by moving forward with whatever strength he's going to give you. Yes, we feel the emotion. We get the sweats, the adrenaline shakes. But in faith, we acknowledge our weakness. We rest in God. We realize we're not in control. We use all that cognitive behavioral therapy stuff we've been learning. We go through all the pieces of the armor of God to remind ourselves of the truth do whatever practical things that are going to help us get through it. And then, after the attack subsides, or as we come back down to our usual level of, you know, normal panic, we choose to take another step of obedience in whatever direction God's been telling us to. Even though we don't really feel like it, knowing that God has been with us the whole time, and he'll continue to be there with each step. Now, I'm going to leave the rest of the article for you to read, but there's a lot there. I would love to hear your thoughts about it during my live stream Q&A this Sunday at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Send me some comments and questions in advance through the website or record your voice through the SpeakPipe page. Or you can always just show up and do it live. I hope you do come. It is always an interesting time. part of these podcasts is an interesting study on the classic book Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. Remember, there's a link to this book for free on my blog if you want to read along. This week we're looking at chapter 6 when Christian passes the lions near the beautiful palace. Now, I guess the obvious question here is, what are these lions all about, right? So Christian drops his scroll, he has to run back down the hill, he's back to the place where he fell asleep, and it took him so long that it was dark by the time he got back up to the top of the hill. And what does he see when he gets to the top of the hill of difficulty? Two big scary lions. Right next to a very beautiful place where he could go and take refuge. But to get to the door, he has to face the lions. Those were the lions that chased away timorous and mistrust, and almost had Christian turn back too. But what were they there for? Well, the porter at the door, after calling Christian a big chicken, says, 
Fear not the lions, for they are chained, and are placed there for trial of faith where it is, and for discovery of those that have none. You see, the lions are a test of faith, a trial to separate the faithful from the unfaithful. We already know that one of the issues with the straight and narrow path is that folks have been known to jump the wall or just wander onto the path without actually going through the wicked gate of salvation or coming to the cross or even meeting Jesus or getting their clothes changed or getting their seal, getting their scroll. Sometimes they're just people who call themselves pilgrims, think they're pilgrims, who even believe that they're saved, but they're just religious pretenders. They don't actually believe in Jesus. They don't actually trust and obey God. Now they say they do, Sometimes they even preach the sermon, teach the Sunday school. They're even deacons in the church. But after climbing the hill of difficulty, when things have gone really bad for a little while, and they're tired, worn out, and sick of the darkness, they meet these lions, this choice that is facing them, and it's the last straw. They throw up their hands and they say, forget it, that's too hard, and they give up the whole faith. I did a little digging to see what folks thought these lions were. Some people thought that the lions were the threat of civil government and the state church that were oppressing and jailing the people who were professing the true gospel. Like Bunyan, that's his story. He was in jail when he wrote this. The lions were a test whether one would continue to obey the word of God and face the consequences, or they would cave to the king and the corrupt church. Now, Charles Spurgeon thought the lions represented the difficulties of joining a church, as in facing the difficulties of officially identifying yourself with a group of believers. The Palace Beautiful is a church, but standing in the way of becoming part of that fellowship was this test as to whether or not a person actually believed in God and would submit to the watchman's word and just stay in the middle of the road, which presumably is the preacher, the elders of the church. Thomas Scott thought the lions represented a person de publicly declaring their faith in Jesus. Passing between the lions held the same trepidation as someone coming out as Christian to their family and friends. One interesting note is that later in the book, we find that Christian's partner, Faithful, went through the same gate, but the lions were asleep, and he skipped the beautiful palace altogether. Meaning, I suppose, that for some people, in a different situation, different family, different country, it's easier to declare your faith and live as a Christian than for others. Regardless of what the lions are, I think the takeaway for today is to simply put ourselves in Christian's position and ask ourselves if we would walk through the lions or not. Sometimes we're presented with a difficult choice. We know what we're supposed to do, we know it's the right thing to do, and we know there's a ton of risk if we do it. Maybe it's declaring your faith in public. Maybe it's confessing a sin that you know is going to get you in trouble. Maybe it's choosing to put yourself out there and build some kind of new relationship. Maybe you've been lying about something, and if you start telling the truth, there's going to be consequences. The question is, knowing what God has asked you to do, knowing it's the right thing to do, will you walk between the lions? Will you take the risk? Will you trust that God, when he tells you to do it, is doing the right thing? And obeying him, obeying his word, regardless of the consequences, is the right thing to do? Or will you turn back? Will you say, I know what God wants, I know the right thing to do, but I do not trust that God's way is best. I'm more afraid of the consequences than I am of God, and I just can't do it. It's easier to turn away from God, turn away from the promise of peace on the other side, because facing those lions is just too much. Take some time to chew on that over the next few days, and then let me or someone else know what you've decided.
And that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you heard something interesting. Remember, you can find more episodes and links to my social media, the new private Discord server, and a bunch of other good stuff, like my free books, on the website at artofthechristianninja.com. If you want to follow along with what I'm doing, this podcast comes out on Fridays, and I live stream on Twitch from Sunday to Thursday at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at twitch.tv slash X-T-I-A-N ninja. On Thursdays, I give a little devotional message, and on Sundays, we do an Ask Me Anything. I would love it if you drop by. If you want to support the ministry, the first and best way is to share, share, share. The internet is full of noise, and the social media algorithms hate Christian stuff, so if you don't share it, no one sees it. So please, hit that like and the subscribe and the share button. It helps a lot. And if you want to go that extra mile, it would be amazing if you'd click that donation button on the website and give a one-time or regular monthly gift. My dream right now is to do this full-time, but I can only keep the ministry growing and the content flowing with support from people like you. Thank you again, have a great week, and I'll talk to you on Sunday.